This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Social Red Room. Stay connected and go viral on the socialredroom.com. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And for the second time in the podcast history, we are ringing in the new year. Happy New Year, everybody. It is week one of our New Year's celebration in which we are watching 1980s New Year's Evil and 2013's Antisocial. But before we get to the movies, normally we play a little trivia game, but instead I'm going to be sharing some trivia with Kelsey and a bunch of the listeners out there. It's all based around what we rate movies I wanted to cover just some figures throughout the year, but this is actually going to be since we started doing the podcast, which is a little bit difficult because in some cases, when we first started, we just did letter grades. Some cases, we didn't grade them at all, and I wasn't keeping track of the Rotten Tomatoes scores, so a lot of these Rotten Tomatoes scores are as of today and not as of our recording. You're just going to have to live with all that. It's going to be a little bit rough this first year through with uh, some of the figures. We don't have figures for everything, so apologies there. And we'll let you know if the movies we watch this week crack into any of these lists. Starting off with some curiosity points. Uh, These are average ratings throughout the life of the podcast so far. Kelsey, her average rating is 67. Really? 67. Yeah, is that higher or lower than you thought it would be? That's lower than I thought. What do you think my average rating is? You have a tendency to be nicer to movies than I do, so I'm going to guess 75? 67. Oh, so we have the same. That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. Well, to be fair, I'm just using integers, so you were actually 66.7 or something, and I was 67.4 or something like that. I just rounded to the nearest whole number. I think number. We'll survive. Yeah, 67. So, and I, I would tell you what our average rating is, but it's actually 67 (laughs) across the board for both of us. The Rotten Tomatoes average for all the movies we've watched so far. Any idea what that is? They're usually lower than us, so I would guess 52? 60. The average difference between the two of us? I have no idea. Five points. Five points. On average, we we differ by five points. Okay. And I'll get to exactly our biggest differences in a little bit. The average difference between us and the critics? Five points? 13 points. 13. Yeah, so we agree with each other more than we agree with the critics. Got it. But we're going to end on a happy note. So we'll do the happy top stuff. Let's just go through our bottom 10 movies. Okay, so our least favorites in the past year and couple months. Yes. All right. There is a five-way tie for number 10. Oh my god. <laughs> At 25, those are Santa's Sleigh, Halloween 2, the original series Halloween 2, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake, The Wolfman, and The Halloween remake. 
So we don't like remakes. Apparently not. <laughs> yeah, because... Three out of those Three five. out of those five, and one is a sequel. Because it's funny, because we've gotten a comment before. People are all like, oh, they, they always talk smack on the old classics. And it's like, are you sure? Because yeah. I don't think that's what we're doing, actually. <laughs> uh, number nine. Nine! <laughs> April Fool's at 22.5. Yep. Number eight. Eight! Prom Night at 15. The remake. Oh, the remake. Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. Number seven. Seven. Black Christmas. The remake. At 14. We do not like remakes. No. Home Sweet Home is number six. Six. At 13.5. We just watched them. Yep. Number five. Five. <laughs> 13 Ghosts at 13. The remake. Yes. This is thir- 13 and, and Ghosts. <laughs> And number four, four, closed for the season at 11.5. That was bad. What was closed for the season again? Which one was that? That was that god-awful carnival movie we watched. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was episode number 42, if you want to go back and watch that one. Whew, that one was something else. All right, so the worst three of the year. The worst three of the year. Here we go. Number three. Three. At 10. Red Clover. Yeah, that was pretty bad. It had basically one redeeming aspect of the entire movie, and that is the off-the-wall flashback story (laughs) (laughs) where Billy Zane loses his wife on Black Friday and then never finds her again. Never finds her again. (laughs) And it's not played like she ran away. It's like he lost her and she just didn't know. She couldn't remember her home address. I don't know. And tied for number one. One. At zero points. Nice. Do you know what two movies these are? X-Ray. Yep. That's the one that we always talk about, how much we hated it. Yeah, what's the other one we really hated with a passion? I don't know. If I said to you, lesbian vampire angels. Ah, yes. (laughs) Lifeblood. Lifeblood. Lifeblood is number one. (laughs) Notice how... A lot of those are holiday movies. Yeah, because they just exist as a cash-in to show yes. up. I said this on uh, one of the episodes for a one of our New Year's movies, I think, Life last Blood. year. It was was Life it Blood. Lifeblood? Yeah, because it barely never even seen bothers. It if it hadn't been on New Year's Eve. Exactly. And the only thing that happens on New Year's Eve is... That's where all the shit starts, is at a New Year's Eve party. But it could have been any party. It could have been any time. <laughs> Didn't matter at all. A lot so, of them are holidays and remakes. There yeah. you go. So Kelsey's bottom ten are Leprechaun, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Prom Night, Black Christmas, both remakes, thir- 13 and, and Ghosts, Close for the Season, Red Clover, Home Sweet Home, because you gave that one a nine, <laughs> and then X-Ray and Lifeblood. So all of those are holidays. All of my bottom ten are holiday movies. Or seasonal. No, yeah. 13 Ghosts. Oh, 13 Ghosts. And was closed for the season? Was that an actual seasonal? It's a seasonal. It's carnival. It's summer. Yeah, I guess that's why you chose that one. That but, is exactly uh, why I chose yeah. that. We wouldn't have watched it otherwise. My bottom ten are Flubirds or Flubird Horror. <laughs> a Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Uh, you liked that. You gave it a 30. I gave it a 20. 
Uh, April Fools. Not April Fools Day. April Fools. You're a fool. Something about drooling. I don't know. <laughs> home sweet home prom night. Thir- 13 and ghosts. Close for the season. Red Clover. X-ray. And lifeblood. Here's where we might get at each other's throats. <laughs> okay. This is the list of movies that you and I differed on the most. And it just happened to work out that five of these top ten I like better than you, and five you liked better than me. And so these are the ones that we that we differed, differed on, the, on most. the most. Any idea what some of these are? Well, since Leprechaun was in my bottom ten and it wasn't in yours, I'm going to guess that's one of them. <laughs> All right, number ten. Ten. Fourteen points difference. Home for the Holidays from 1972. I think you liked that because it was funny. I don't... No, you liked it more than I did. You gave it a 69. I gave it a 55. Really? Yes. I must have liked it because it was funny then. <laughs> he just hops from off screen at everyone. <laughs> is that what? Is that that one? Which one's Home for the Holidays? That's that. That's, is that that one? Oh, no. Wait. Oh, no. No, that's Home Sweet Home. You're right. Home for the Holidays. Oh, that was that Christmas one we watched last year with the the sisters who oh, came home. Oh, it was the TV movie. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why. I I think because it was kind of boring. Well, that was episode number 11. That was really early on. So I don't know. Huh. Weird. There are three movies tied at number seven with a 15-point difference. Seven! The first being 2011's The Thing. Which yeah, you love that way more than I you do. You gave 45 and I gave 60. I thought if it wasn't a thing prequel, remake oh, whatever, remake will, it would have been a lot better. Mm. 60 isn't a great score. <laughs> yeah. Next tied for seventh is It. Yeah. The, the TV one. Oh. Yes. Did I like that more than you? You did. You gave it a 65 and I gave it a 50. I've got a lot of nostalgia for it. So do I. I think where that where that series shines is just how off the wall stupid it is and the awful acting. Like the I think the kids are good. Like the really bad acting. Even the kids aren't that great. Like it's not oh god, but it's a, such a novelty and I love watching it and I've seen it multiple times and I will continue watching it, but it gets a solid down the middle 50 for me. <laughs> uh next up is at number 7 again, Rose Red. I liked that way more than you, you did. You gave it a 70, I gave it a 55. Yeah. Yep. I was not a fan. I thought it was dumb. I liked it. <laughs> All right. Number like six. I thought like it is worse in my mind as far as like a production. Yes. But I find a I like I enjoy watching it a lot more. <laughs> but yeah, I gave I gave Rose Red a slightly better score because like it there's some cool stuff that happens in that stuff that I really like. Six. Number six is Leprechaun, which I called that. I said that. Like. I said that yep. was gonna be one of them. Twenty-three, I gave it a forty. So yeah, we both didn't bad. really like it. It's Seventeen really point bad. difference. Yeah. Oof. Oh God. <laughs> no wonder they went right into like Leprechaun in the Hood, Leprechaun in Space, like that <laughs> territory, because this woof. Five no. <laughs> Number five, 1984's Silent Night, Deadly Night. 
which you did not like. We just watched that one in episode 63. I gave it a 40. You gave it a 21. 19 it's point difference. It's so terrible. Yeah. It's so terrible. I thought some of it was kind of nuts. <laughs> it does not make it good. Punish. <laughs> nope. This one baffles me. Number four. Four. With a 20 point difference. Urban Legend. You gave it a 60. I gave it a 40. You're wrong. The movie is hilarious. It's not. It tries it's to be. so good. And it is not. Like, like with the cast. And I like it. <laughs> All right. Number three. Three. All right. Bottom three. Here we bottom go. Bottom three. Number three. 21 point difference. I liked it more than you did. Okay. Wishmaster. Yeah. 57 to 78. I thought this is a an overlooked classic movie. I enjoyed watching it, but that doesn't make it a good movie. It was insane, and I would really like to see more of them. Although I re- I imagine I imagine I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like would they run out of ideas on wishes on ways to fulfill wishes shittily? <laughs> Look, if you're making a wish movie, it's just you just know they're all gonna turn out terrible, so don't do it. Yep. And tied for number one. One two movies. Okay. Twenty two point difference on each of them. One you like more than me, one I like more than you. Okay. First one being better watch out. Yeah. Fifty you gave it a fifty eight. I gave it an eighty. Yeah, you're so wrong about that. <laughs> it is not great. I mean, it's fine, which is why I gave it the score I gave it. Mm-hmm. It's not good. I thought it was fun. I was happy to see him get his comeuppance. But he didn't really. But yeah, because they needed to end it on a twist, kind of like Krampus did. <laughs> but yes, he did. He's going to get his comeuppance. You don't know that. I would like to believe that. Neither of us know that. I'm I'm satisfied. <laughs> And uh, the other one going the other way, Flubirds, Flubird Horror. Oh, my God. You gave it a 45 <laughs> because you are wrong. No, it's so funny. <laughs> it is so bad. It's so funny. It is so bad. It was on purpose, and you're wrong for not seeing that. I I think some of it is. I think they know it's bad, but that's not a good enough reason to make a bad movie. <laughs> I think they made a bad movie because they didn't know how to make a good one. <laughs> and they thought that a bad, just on purpose making a bad movie would make up for that. And no. It did. <laughs> the best purposefully bad movies are the ones made by people who know how to make good ones. You have to know what the rules are <laughs> in order to break them creatively. <laughs> they could not. 23 I gave that one. You gave it a 45. (laughs) All right, so that is all the negative stats that we have here. After the break, after our first movie, we'll go over some more positive ones, including our top 10 movies of the year, in actuality, the series so far, and how we differ from critical responses. In this case, we're just using Rotten Tomatoes as a benchmark. Nine out of 10 of those movies... We liked more than they did, so I consider this to be positive. We wanna we wanna ring in the new year on a positive note. Woo! And sh- share with you all the movies we liked or liked better than most people. So, with that said, let's move on to our first movie in our New Year's season, 1980s 
New Year's Evil, written by Leonard Neubauer and Emmett Alston, directed by Emmett Alston, and starring Roz Kelly, Kip Niven, and Chris Wallace. What is New Year's Evil about? What's the premise? A famous DJ is hosting a TV show. It's like New Year's Rockin' Eve, but this time it's her. It's New Year's Evil because they are the punk Okay, they specifically, except for like the cops, they specifically don't use the term punk. And I noticed this. I thought it was a little bit interesting. They call it like new wave. They call it new wave rock. Yes. But this is too commercial. Punk. This is it's new wave rock, but it's it's different from punk in that this is way too commercial. Like it's super commercial. Absolutely. And punk, especially at the time was specifically about being counterculture and anti-capitalist. Right. The like, music is not punk. The yeah. music is definitely like But they pop. are punks. They're punks in the way that 80s New York punks are punks. And that's But the way that they're dressed is very punk. Which Yeah, but it's but again, it's like it's like commercial punk. That's true. It's all stuff that you could you buy in a store as opposed to stuff that you would chop up. Yes, you know, like That's true. Yeah, nobody's wearing butt flaps or anything like that. So, in any case, yeah, this guy calls in on New Year's Eve saying he's going to kill somebody. Every hour, every hour that it turns midnight which is all over the four, states. Which is four murders. We're not including uh, anywhere. It's just the contiguous United States. So it's... New York, Chicago, Colorado, and California. Yes, where they are. So it's going to be this three-hour program, a little bit longer than three hours in actuality, and uh, and they're going to ring in the New Year's four times on New Year's Evil. Yes. Should people watch this movie, Kelsey? If you are a completionist and you want to make sure that you see all of the 80s slasher films, you definitely need to see this. If you are interested in, like, just bad 80s horror, you need to see this. Um, But otherwise... You don't need to. Yeah. You really don't need to. I think it's interesting in certain ways. It's a different story. It's a yeah. different idea, which is nice, but it's pretty boring. And and you follow the killer around for most of this movie. Yeah, you're really not paying much attention to the lady who's supposed to kind of be the protagonist. Right. You're much Blaze. more focused. Yes. <laughs> you're much more focused on the killer and what's going on with him. Right, yeah. All right, so you can take our advice or shove it. And when we get back, we will talk about 1980s New Year's Evil. On the one night they were celebrating New Year's Eve, he was out ending their life. I'm going to commit murder at midnight. Call me evil. One terrifying night of unspeakable evil. New Year's Evil. All right, Kelsey. This is a canon film. Golan and Globus made this one. Menachem Golan and Yorm Globus uh, famously making awful movies. What movies have we seen of theirs? We've seen a few. Yeah. 
But the big one that people tend to think about, I mean, there are a bunch, but people think about um, like Masters of the Universe is one of them. Death Wish, Delta Force, Breaking and Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. <clears throat> so, yeah, they've done a lot of uh, those kind of films. <laughs> they did X-Ray, otherwise known as Hospital Massacre, otherwise known as be mine or else or be my valentine or else so which one of our one of our worst movies we've seen so far mm-hmm. like really really bad mm-hmm. so you should be able to tell what kind of movie we're getting ourselves into here <laughs> all right kelsey what happens in new year's evil honestly not a lot okay so we open on First of all, I love that they're doing it within a Holiday Inn. <laughs> Maybe it's just like this it LA says skyline Holiday Inn in the first in the first shot on one of the buildings, but they are doing it in a hotel, so we assume it's that Holiday Inn cuz it's like the tallest building in the skyline that they show us. <laughs> so, we meet Blaze. Diane Sullivan is played by Roz Kelly. She is a like I said, famous DJ. She has a son and a husband. Her husband is off in Palm Springs, uh, and he's, is, she says, either loaded or on pills. And then her son is desperately trying to tell her about this part in a TV series that he just got, but she's just clearly not interested. Yeah. Um, the dialogue is bad from, the, from, from word one. It yes. is terrible. It is really, really poorly written. Like, okay, we should say, we've seen this movie before. We watched it on our own because we wanted to. Yes. And I could barely remember anything about it. Yeah. Like. I remembered very little. Wow. But I think we hated it the first time we saw it. It's something else. And then we meet this woman who is her friend, who Blaze will continue to worry about throughout the rest of the film. We never even find out who she is, how she's related to these people. We just know that she matters to Blaze. Right. Yeah. Apparently she's like her her friend? sidekick. Yeah, I don't know. But she dies right away. And she has a bunch of beads in her hair, and Chris pointed this out to me, and I've never thought about it before, and now I'm like, oh my god. He was like, how do you sleep with that hair? (laughs) And now, every time I see people with beads, that's all I'm going to be able to think about. How do you sleep with that in your hair? Right. That's got to be annoying. That's got to be annoying. Anyway. Uh, there is a New Year's Evil song that is played multiple oh. times. Oh, I love it. It is going at the end of this episode, 100%. I love, love, love this song. But it plays diegetically and non-diegetically. Yes. <laughs> it's performed by the group Shadow. And there's also, so there's several, several songs by Shadow. There's also uh, Made in Japan, which sings that amazing song, Dumb Blondes, which, can we talk about the misogyny in this movie? <laughs> That's kind of part of it, though. That's kind of part of I the I mean, yeah, the they, make, they make the villain... A misogynist. A misogynist. He is a bad guy, but he's definitely a misogynist. Any, any way that a man has diverted from his optimal course 
is because a woman has done something to them, because a woman has castrated them, because a woman did not support them, because a woman did such and such. And he only attacks women except when he's confronted and forced to kill a man at one point. And then the movie sings a song called Dumb Blondes. It's true. And our hero is, our hero Blaze is a woman but she's also awful. Like, she's not a good person. Yeah, she's a bitch to her son. She's really, really preoccupied to her son. And to the point where it's super obnoxiously cliche, where he's like, Mom, we really have to talk. I have to talk to you about something. And then her response is, all right, well, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Click. Like, she didn't even hear it. There's something you should know. Something important. Listen, honey, I have to go now. All right? I'll see you in a little while. Yeah. Not like, oh, you're right. You know what? I'll make some time for you. I'm in the middle of this live broadcast right now. <laughs> so let me go take care of that. But then I'll make time for you and you and I can have a conversation. Nope. It's just, huh? What was that, sweetie? I got to go. Bye. Like that's, she's not a great person. No. And she's not portrayed sympathetically in this. But that doesn't mean that she deserves what happened. Oh, absolutely not. I'm just saying she doesn't represent like the ideal, like, you know, it, she's not like the anti-misogyny character. Right. It, <clears throat> so then we see the people that are coming to this show and they're dressed like punks and they're screaming at everybody and spitting at everybody. And like the idea here, I think, is supposed to be that like people are afraid of punks. But honestly, these people are just being obnoxious. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the way they're dressed. It has nothing to do with the music they listen to. It's about their attitude. And I know that that was kind of part of the punk culture of the 80s, is that you had this really bad attitude because fuck society and fuck the man. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between having that attitude on the inside and just being an obnoxious asshole. Right. Which is what they're being. Yeah. <laughs> when they get to the show, there's this weird moment. There's a lot of weird moments in this movie. Yeah. Uh, where, like, the guy that's getting the tickets is like, tickets, let's have your tickets. Yeah. Tickets, let's have your tickets. <laughs> like, he says the same line twice. And it's so weird. Oh. Tickets, let's have your tickets. Tickets, let's have your tickets. And so they pull a switchblade on him, but really, it's a comb. <laughs> Like it's, Why is any of this in here? It has nothing to do with the story. It's just I don't showing know. you what kind of of audience is going to be here. So when they need to lock down the building, they get resistance and it makes sense. But really, I mean, come on. It's almost unnecessary. We're, sh we're setting up that it's punk rock, but it's really, really not. But yeah, it's not. <laughs> Um, at one point, she does ask her son if he's feeling all right. Is he having any headaches? Which is weird and has nothing to do okay. with the story. He acts so bizarrely throughout yes, this does. entire thing. He ends up putting on like some pantyhose over his face and and taking his medication and, and like reacting super strongly to it immediately. Like they went overboard with this guy. But we know from... After that first kill, from the very next time we're introduced to the killer, we see the killer's face. Yeah. It is not the sun. Yeah. But they still lay it on really thick that, that it's the sun. There's something weird going if you, on with the sun. If we were not following the killer around, you would think it's the sun. Yeah. 
A hundred percent. And all for some cheap, lame-ass payoff at the end to make Blaze look really bad. Like, those are the only two reasons. For some cheap twist at the end and to make our main character practically unlikable. Like, you could just take all of that weirdness out of it. Yep. It's so bizarre. Uh, So she is known as the Lady of Rock. Blaze, and she explains that this is going to be New Year's Evil because this is your last chance to be bad before you have to make your resolutions to be good. Now, this is your last chance to be bad before you make those New Year's resolutions. That's why we call our celebration New Year's Evil. She says, hi babies, it's time to slam down and get even. It's time to spin out and boil your head, you know. Hi, babies. It's time to slam down and get even. It's time to spin out and boil your hair, you know? No. I don't know, Blaze. I have no idea what those words mean. And be honest, I don't think you do either. Yes, the dialogue is... making up nonsense. The dialogue is ridiculous. I don't... Whoever wrote this should never write another movie. What did this writer do? What has this writer done? (laughs) Okay, so it was written by the director and another gentleman. The story and screenplay are written by Leonard Neubauer. He's done... Well, New Year's Evil was the last thing he did. Uh, He died in 2011, unfortunately. He's done practically nothing. But he didn't do anything after New Year's Evil. Emmett Alston, the director who also gets screenplay credit... He is still alive, but he hasn't directed anything since 1990. He did Nine Deaths of the Ninja, Three-Way Weekend. Oh, God. Demon Warp. Yep. Tiger Shark. Awesome. Little Ninjas. Of course. Across the Killing Bay. Okay. Yes. This is the highest profile thing they have ever done. Well, there you go. Yes. That makes sense. So they are taking calls for what's going to be number one that night, which I don't understand. I guess what they're going to play at midnight. At midnight, but it's like, I don't know. That seems like an odd thing to do for, wouldn't it be of the year? Like, but I guess it's chosen. I don't know. And somebody asked for We Don't Need No Education. Yeah. Which is another brick in the wall. So they get the name wrong, and it's a popular song from the 70s. That No, fuck that. We're not going to play that song. Like, that's the attitude that they have. What they're railing against is one of the best songs in classic rock history. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So she's answering the phones every once in a while. And I don't know if we're supposed to be able to hear... The conversation, like, like on is it live, live on the television? air? I don't know. But she does answer really phone explain. calls. Yes. But so this guy, it's the killer, and he's saying, I'm going to kill someone close to you, and I'm going to kill someone every hour on the hour. And he's using this voice modulator, and she specifically calls it out. You sound like the Phantom. Ballet's here. A crazy new year to you. Happy new year to you, Blaze. Ooh. Some kind of voice you got there. Sound like the Phantom. I think this is accurate. I read that it's a reference to the Phantom of the Paradise from 1974, which I've asked you to put on our list in the past. It it is. Like, this is the way he sounds. So, like, they use the same voice modulator. So if you've seen Phantom of the Paradise, that's what this guy sounds like when he's on the phone. So you got a name, Phantom? Call me. 
Evil. Evil? You bad, I... No. Just evil. She's not happy about it, but it's also like it could just be a stupid person making a prank call. You don't know at this point. But she is a little upset about it. So they end up getting the cops to come down. And during this time, we have some bizarre crowd dancing scenes. Oh, God. You can hear (laughs) the feet shuffling on the dance floor. In case you don't know, listeners, when you have to film a crowd scene, those people are not actually allowed to make sound. They are not actually allowed to speak. So when you see a crowd of people talking in a movie, you should know they are just pantomiming. There's yeah. no music being played. So when Sometimes people- there's like a metronome so they can keep the beat and the rhythm and everyone's dancing together. But yeah. But yeah, so it's, I've never done, a, I've never been in a movie, I don't know, but I imagine it's got to be real awkward to be dancing there sil- to silence. Yes. That's got to be really awkward. But that's every single crowd scene you have ever seen in a movie. And here, for some insane reason, they decided to include the sound of their feet, feet shuffling on the dance floor. And I think, I think some of it may even be folded in after the fact. <laughs> Like, they wanted it to be realistic for some reason, and it sounds just as awkward as you imagine that scene is with no music playing. Because that, like, oh my god. And it's really bad, and it's in every single song, but then they play this, like, slow, jazzy song, <laughs> and the the music's really kind of quiet, and, and it's slow, and you just hear this shuffling, and it sounds like a middle school dance, and it is really awkward. <laughs> Three questions in a row. What okay. is this? What am I watching? What is going on? Because <laughs> these dance scenes are so bad. Um, so let's let's run through the kills. Let's do the killer point of view stuff because what we just talked about is everything from Blaze's point of view. Like she talks to her son occasionally. She talks to the cop and her manager occasionally, and they get these phone calls every hour on the hour. So, what is the killer doing this during this time? So, this first death is in a hospital, which again, every time you see a hospital in a movie, it's just never going to be what a hospital is actually like. Yes. They are letting, uh, it's like a psych ward, and it's letting these people who, like, are psych patients dance around to the music, and like... They're kind of showing you these psychotic people dancing in comparison to the punks dancing, and I think that's supposed to be commentary. Yeah. Which... Like, does the movie not like the punks? I guess not. I don't think so. Yeah, it's it's a little bit weird, and it's also thrown in there because there's this, like, insanity, this fear of insanity that was really, really strong in the 70s and the 80s especially, where they would just throw mental hospitals in a plot because that provided the shock and fear value that they were looking for. And this is just as superfluous. It actually does relate to the plot in a very, very minor way. We find out at the end that the killer was a, was a patient there for a little bit. And so how the 
nurse doesn't recognize him. I don't, I don't know. know that she was his nurse. I think he just walked in. But she's like a general nurse. Found there. the first nurse that he could, um, and he's pretending to be a, a doctor there. She doesn't ask for any credentials. They just get down to having sex. Yes, and because it's New Year's, and then he does a countdown to her death, and then he stabs her to death. Right, and he's let's just say through all of this, he has everything planned out carefully. For all of these kills, except for the fact that he is leaving so much up to chance. The odds that he would run into these women, the odds that he could seduce these women, the odds that they would be blonde. And he has to have that kill at the stroke of midnight. You don't waste much time, do you? No. I count every second. For the first two murders, it goes off. Almost without a hitch. Well, no, the second one, he runs into a problem. So the second one... But he he still manages to make it happen. The second one, he walks into a bar. With a really bad fake mustache. Oh, yeah. Like, real bad. So he meets this girl there, and he wants to take her out to, to kill her. But then she decides at the last minute that she needs to bring her friend, who's silent, by the way. I don't think For she says a it. single no, word. she does. Oh, she does? She, you just, whatever comes into your head, you just say, don't you? So this girl is this dumb blonde, and she's talking about, like, transcendental med- meditation, transactional analysis, zen, writing haikus. And then I went to TA, you know, transactional analysis. I'm okay, you're okay, that sort of stuff. And then I went through est. And finally, zen. Oh, boy, that was some sort of spiritual trip. Now I'm writing haikus. Haikus? That's Japanese poetry. (laughs) I thought this lady was fascinating. I was like, what is this character? (laughs) And she's supposed to be getting on the nerves of the guy, and he just wants to kill her. Yeah. But he's also nervous because now he's got a second lady in there with him, and he has to figure out how to do that. And he wants to make sure that he gets it right at midnight. So how first, I need to say this, how did he get her in the car in the first place? Do you know how he convinced her? He lied and told her that he was going to some famous person's party. Do you know who that famous person is? No. This name that he drops that gets her all excited that she's going to go to this man's party? No. Eric Estrada. Who's that? From Chips. <laughs> I've never he was seen one Chips. of the He was one of the motorcycle cops on Chips. No? Okay. I know the show, mainly because that movie came out. I never even saw the movie either, but... He's a voice actor in C-Lab 2021? Sure. Okay. This is my point. (laughs) The most 80s name you could possibly drop. (laughs) Eric Estrada. (laughs) I got this business thing I have to attend. There's a big party up at Eric Estrada's place. Kind of a command performance. He's a client of mine. So then... He pulls, oh, no, because they say, one of them says, can we make a pit stop first? See, again, really lucky. Very convenient. I think her diary is back. So he stops at a convenience store and he gives the lady a hundred bucks and says, buy the biggest bottle of champagne that you can. And while she's in there, he kills the first one. With a bag of weed. By throwing the bag. There was nothing in the bag when he first did it. There was stuff in the bag when we saw it the second time. Yeah. Well, I I think we just didn't see the whole bag. But he throws it over her head. Because he's like, ooh, smell this amazing weed that I have. (laughs) This giant 
like grocery bag full of weed, I guess, with just a little bit of weed really in it, throws it overhead and suffocates her. And when this friend comes outside, the car is gone, but one of her shoes is there. And then she follows it over to the the dumpster on the side of the convenience store. And she's freaking out and she sees the bag, the girl's bag in hanging out of the trash can or something like that. And we're like, oh, my God, she's going to find her friend. And this guy has gotten away. And she lifts up the trash can to look in. And when we look in, we see the killer. And he pops out and he grabs her and he pulls her in. That was a genuine surprise. (laughs) I had no idea that that was coming. And I have seen this movie before. (laughs) So kind of a backhanded compliment. (laughs) And so now he kills both of them. That's kill number two. After this, people find them. Right? So it takes a while for them to to find the dead, the first dead body. This one they find faster because somebody walks outside and they're like, blood, point. More blood, point. We better get some help. Like, it's so <laughs> bad. It is so awful. And when there's this creepy, like, walking around and there's a danger nearby, they try so hard to replicate the Jason noise. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, this movie is from 1980, but it came out at the end of the year on the 26th of December, like right after Christmas. Friday the 13th came out in May of that year, so they had plenty of time. I guarantee you they weren't even done shooting, let alone doing the the music for this (laughs) at that point. So... Absolutely, they're trying to rip off that music. Like, and it's really obvious. It's around this time that they call the cop that's been sent to watch on Blaze, who kind of took her whole thing as bullshit earlier. It's kind of fucked up. He said, you people amaze me. You create a problem and then you want us to fix it. Basically, he's saying that he thought that it was going to be like a crazed fan. Yeah. And he's basically saying... Because you encourage these kids. Yeah, you kids and your and your rock music and your Dan Fogelberg and your Pac-Man video games. You kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima, hula hoops, and Pac-Man video games. He's basically saying, you created this monster. Now, he's kind of right, but not in the way that he thinks. In the right. way that he thinks, he thinks that just kids the going culture. crazy the watching music breeds murderers. Yes. And, yeah. It's the idea that society is held together by people being proper and you know that as soon as you start doing whatever you want then people are just going to start murdering and then it's anarchy dogs and cats living together (laughs) mass hysteria (laughs) so the cop is on the phone and they're talking to him about what he's going to do next and he says no i ain't going no place like okay first of all we've already been introduced to this character so we already know he doesn't use that kind of language yeah ain't Going yeah. no place. And then he does it, and it's so obviously forced. Uh-huh. It's so bad. The acting and the direction and the writing, all three are just terrible. Then for a while, it's just murderer time 
in the story. We don't go back to Blaze for a long time. We don't check in on her son. It's just a collection of murder shorts. It feels like this movie for a long time that because it centers so much around the killer, who, by the way, he calls himself evil. <laughs> That's his name. <laughs> So then he dresses up as a as a pre as a priest because he wants to go and kill some nuns, but uh, he doesn't get a chance. And we can see how prepared he is. He has like headshots of these <laughs> of this nun that he wants to kill, but he doesn't make it there because on his way <laughs> he angers some bikers and then crashes into them. And then they're trying to kill him. And, like, seriously, this is what I'm talking about when we say it's the point of view. The whole movie becomes us nervous. For the killer. And we start wondering, how is he going to get out of this? How is he going to, oh God, oh, that was a really close one. Oh good, he got away. Reminder, this is the bad guy. I never felt that way. And they way. make the whole movie like, practically that like that. I getting away with it. <laughs> There's no tension for any of the other characters. Like, how is this person going to survive? It's all about how is the killer going to pull it off when we introduce more and more wrenches into his machine that he's created. Because it starts off his first kill, Yvonne, is like that. No problem. And then the next one, there's, I don't know, this whole elaborate story he has to tell and we see it all. And then the next one, oh, there's the friend, but he still manages to pull it off. And then this one, he gets distracted by some bikers and they're trying to kill him. Oh, but he manages to find a girl and then then she runs away and then yeah. he has to chase her. And it's like it things keep getting complicated for him. And you start the movie starts to become about how is the murderer going to pull this off? So he goes into so he angers the bikers and he goes into a drive in. And in there he finds a girl and he's going to kill her. But he, in the process, he ends up stabbing a biker. A man of God, not a man of violence. <laughs> And then when he takes the car, it's like, girl, why aren't you getting out of the car? And she said she just sits back there. Well, she spends all of her time trying to get her blouse buttoned up again. Yeah. Instead of getting out of the car. Yeah, it's a little weird, but she does escape. She does escape and she's running and then she stops running. She hides in like some bleachers somewhere. I can't even remember exactly where they are. And and while she's running, they 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 run into like these drunks. drunk people yeah. who end up calling the police, which is why the girl finally gets away because he finds out the cops are after him and he leaves. Mm -hmm. So now his his uh, fourth set of kills, which would have been the Colorado kills for the Colorado time zone, the Mountain time zone, ends up being a biker that he just stabbed unceremoniously after, in a drive-in after saying like. I am a man of God, and yeah. then he stabs him. Like, what? Why? So he makes his way to the hotel where this thing is happening. This is when the plot threads start to come together, and he needs to get inside. So, so But they've shut everything down. Right. Because they know he's coming in. for Blaze. Yeah. So how does he get in, Kelsey? He dresses up as a cop? Yes. He manages to get a cop isolated That's and then right. hits him over the head with a brick and then taking this very large cop, taking his uniform and having it fit perfectly, manages to get inside where he subsequently immediately reveals himself to Blaze 
and the police his real identity so they're not worried because his real identity is a reasonable one. He is Blaze's husband. Who we thought was getting all fucked up in Palm Springs. Yes. And he has this story where his appearance was a surprise that the son was participating in. He goes, the son goes off in a huff. Oh, there's going to be a surprise. And I don't even want to be involved in it anymore because <laughs> she forgot he was there. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I forgot you were here. And he's like, well, fuck you then. I'm out of here. Meanwhile, she's been freaked out about this murderer and she's right. not even concerned about her son. Right. Exactly. And so the he comes out in the... In, the air quotes famous mask from this movie, which a- appears to just be a Stan Laurel mask from Laurel and Hardy. Like it just, I guess. And. But it's all just for kicks. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to surprise you. Uh, let me talk to this police officer. Let him know that I'm here. And then like, he tells him, Oh yeah, the agent knows that I'm here and all this stuff. Like, but and if you but- could have gotten in this way, <laughs> If you all you had to do was say, I'm her husband, and the cops are like, okay. No, you're missing it. You're missing the fact that the cop said, wait a minute, it doesn't matter who you are. We weren't letting anyone in. Right. And he says, I was in here before. And he says, hmm. And he's a good cop and does his job and finds out if that's true. Did he really come in here earlier? But that would have happened regardless. It happened even when he didn't reveal himself. They probably wouldn't have let him in at all. He needed to sneak in and say that it had happened prior to them shutting it down. Until it's revealed that he is the killer. They don't know he's the killer at this point. Until he reveals himself to be the killer. They don't know. The agent would have let him in. I don't know. I'm telling you that the cop is saying we would not have let you in no matter who you were. No. And and then they then they he says, oh, he says the agent let him in. And the cop turns to him and is like, did you let him in? Like he he would have allowed it. Like he's, oh, the agent let him in? Okay, well, let me check with the agent. Not like, oh, I don't care who let him in. It's, oh, well, agent, did you let him in? And he's like, no, I didn't let him in. And that's how they figure out that he's the bad guy. If he had just gone in saying, I'm her husband, agent, let me in, he probably could have gotten in without any suspicion. Instead... They know it's him and they find out it's him immediately. Well, at this point, yeah, they they turn to him and they're like, did you let this guy in? He's like, no. And then they're like, oh, my God, it's him. And he's like, I always knew that bastard was crazy. Right. They slip in the fact that he was secretly an ex-patient at this asylum. And that's when the guy says, I always knew he was crazy. It's like, was that really necessary? It feels so unnecessary. It's really belittling for people that actually do have to be in these sorts of places. But whatever. Well, so then he goes after Blaze and she's like, why? Why are you doing this? And he goes, because I'm fed up. You've castrated me. You're like every other woman in my life. You, you're castrating you, our son, and I won't let that happen. Exactly. He's like, you're trying to turn on your own son. You don't even give a shit that he got apart without using your name. And you're you're ruining him, and you've already ruined me, and I won't let you do it to our son. So. What does he do? He ties her to the bottom of an elevator. Which is kind of the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And then, like, just runs it up and down. And he says, get smashed. He says, enjoy your going away party. Get smashed. Enjoy your going away party. <laughs> get smashed. Okay. But she it doesn't work because she's screaming and people hear her and they are able to save her. Well, 
immediately cops just stumble upon him and then there's this gunfight and then he runs upstairs to the to the balcony or to the roof and then he recites Shakespeare die to sleep no more and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. And jumps off the balcony. And oh my god, is this the worst dummy falling I've ever seen? It's real bad. It's Let me tell really you. It's bad. It looks like a comedy bit. It is so bad. Yes. Like they just threw a dummy that was stuffed with newspaper off the <laughs> building. Like it, it's not articulating in any way. <laughs> it's awful. It's not like RoboCop stop motion you know long appendages but it looks like a real face kind of bad that's a different kind of bad this is wow that is obviously just somebody tossed a dummy off a roof yes (laughs) the son like freaks out about the dad being dead obviously and isn't like oh my god my father was the killer it was oh my god my father was the killer now i'm gonna be a killer too and he puts on the mask and drives away in the ambulance with his mom So, like, a couple of things here. How did he know just by finding out that his dad was the killer what his dad's motivation was and that he agrees with it? Did he know this entire time? Because it certainly didn't seem like it. I think he's supposed to know. I think that's what he means when he says we had this whole big surprise. The surprise was that the dad was showing up. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, but the, you're right. I mean, the son did act weird the entire fucking time, and it's really bad sequel bait and a really bad twist. And, and New Year's Eve. Also, he said, "I'm going to kill someone very close to you." Did he mean her? Did he mean her friend? Yvonne. And if he did mean Yvonne, she was already dead. She was already dead. Yeah. Uh huh. He made it seem like everyone was going to be close to her, but nope, just Yvonne. And then eventually tried to be her. Ah, uh, so do you have anything else, Kelsey? Anything for lightning round? A couple things. When he kills the nurse, they're, like, making out right away, right? And then yeah. he, like, I think he's basically suggesting that they're going to have sex. And she says, I only met you ten minutes ago. And he says, does it matter? And she says, tonight, no. Then why did you stop him? Yeah. Eh. What was the point of this yeah. dialogue? None. There's no point for any of this dialogue. None point. There this is movie none point. Is <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> when he is going to kill the woman in the bar, he asks her to go with him. And at first she's kind of like, I don't know. And then she gets hit by some drunk and she goes, well, at least I wouldn't get crushed to death. And he says, that I guarantee. Because she won't be yep. crushed to death. Yep. Ugh. When our killer is trying to get into the Holiday Inn, uh, he the reason that he finds out that they're not going to let anybody in is he sees this one punker guy who's there for the show. He has his tickets, and they, they say, we won't even let you in. And he gets all pissed off, and he's like, I came all the way up from Huntington Beach. Yeah, that's funny. anybody from Huntington Beach knows that's a long-ass drive <laughs> to be told that you don't get into something that you have the tickets for. Yeah, uh-huh. So what do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? 58. 14. Wow. 14. How many people voted on it? I mean, I knew it wasn't going to be fresh, 
I even thought 58 was a little high, but I certainly didn't think it would get that low. Only seven reviews. That makes more sense. Six rotten, one fresh. But there are 505 user ratings, and the audience score is 14% too. Holy shit, okay. Yeah. So, not good. No. Overrated or underrated? I'd say under. Yeah, what would you give it? I mean, look, I didn't think it was good. I didn't think it was that bad. Um, I'll give it a 30. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Yeah, it's at least an interesting idea. It's a, At least it, it moves. It's not slow. It's only and, an hour and 25 minutes. Yeah, and it goes pretty quickly. You know, it's not the most interesting thing. It's pretty boring. But, like, at least, like I said, it moves. You're never just sitting there watching them go on and on and on and wondering when the fuck wow. the scene's going to be over. Has a bunch of songs from Shadow and Made in Japan. Which are hilarious. Yeah. I think 30's probably a good uh, f- figure for us. It doesn't even get close to breaking our uh, critical difference top 10. <laughs> so, sorry guys, this one doesn't break onto any of the lists here. But uh, that was 1980s New Year's Evil. Call me evil. Evil? You bad, I No. Just evil. Before we move on to our next film, let's go over a few more year in review items, starting with those critical differences. How do we differ from the critics? Well, out of the top ten, nine of them we liked more than the critics. So, starting with number ten, Amityville Horror, Rotten Tomatoes of 30. We gave it an average of 66. That's a 36-point difference. Wow. We really liked, well, relatively, relatively. (laughs) I was going to say, we really didn't. (laughs) Relatively, we liked it a lot more. We see that it's important to the culture more than anything else. Right, yeah. Number nine at 38 and a half points difference from uh, the Rotten Tomato score. Nine! <laughs> Bloody Birthday. I liked Bloody Birthday. Yeah, you gave it a 70. I gave it a 77. Wow. <laughs> yeah. For a 73 and a half versus the Rotten Tomatoes 35. Which, keep that in mind. Bloody Birthday, critical reception, better than Amityville Horror. That's nuts. Right. That's weird. Nuts. Number eight. Eight! 40 point difference. We Are Still Here, which has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 95. What? 95. For We Are Still Here, that's For insane. We Are Still Here. A movie that's just, it just kind of exists. There's... Like, nothing special about this movie. Nothing. I have no idea why it's rated so highly. You gave it a 50. I gave it a 60. 95%. And that's 43 reviews. Only two are rotten. Smart, powerfully acted, and devilishly clever. What part of this movie is clever? You liked it more than I did. We Are Still Here offers some novel twists on familiar territory and heralds the arrival of a major talent in writer-director Ted Geoghegan. Nope. And since then, in 2015, he has done a movie called Mohawk, which is getting good reviews, 
from this year. And that's it. That's all he's done since we're still here. <laughs> Apparently. Like, all right. I do not understand why this movie is rated so high. It's just so average. Mm-hmm. Anyway, number seven. Seven. 40 and a half points difference. So the rest of these we like more. Friday the 13th, the remake. Really liked it. Yep. Rotten Tomatoes of 25. I thought it was pretty good. You gave it a 71. I gave it a 60. I was a little bit cooler on it than you were. But it did a lot of stuff that I was not expecting. Mm -hmm. And it was a remake of, like, the franchise and not just the original, which was an interesting take on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't say it's a great movie. No. But of all these modern retellings of the classic horror movies, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, it's the best. Yeah. Agreed. Next up. Now, we didn't actually rate this one. We both said high 70s. So I put us down for 78. Number six is 1980s Terror Train. I love Terror Train. Rotten Tomatoes of 36. That doesn't surprise me. Holy shit. Love that movie. Love it. A little bit of transphobia incitement in it, but I can look past that. It's, I love this movie. (laughs) It's great. Way better than New Year's Evil. Yes. Number five on the other end of the spectrum. Five! 42 and a half points. We liked it better than Rotten Tomatoes, but Rotten Tomatoes really didn't like this movie. It liked it less than the original, the Amityville Horror from 2005. It gave it a 25, whereas it gave the original a 30. Okay. I say it gave. It resulted in a 25 and a 30. And you and I gave it a 70 and a 63, respectively. You liked this one. I liked it just as much as the original, so I gave it the same exact score. You actually gave this one a one point. Higher score. I remember why, too. Is it because Ryan Reynolds is sexy? Yes. (laughs) Those abs? Those abs. My goodness. (laughs) Here's another one that doesn't make sense, and we said it at the time. It just really doesn't make sense. Number four. Four. 43 and a half point difference. Burnt Offerings. Rotten Tomatoes of 33. Everybody hates that movie. I do not get it. I don't either. It's great. 78 from you and a 75 from me. People are wrong. They are just wrong. <laughs> They're just wrong. Number three. Three. 44 and a half point difference. The Wishmaster. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Rotten Tomatoes is 23. You only gave it a 57, but that's still much higher. It's more than double the 23 Rotten Tomatoes. I gave it a 78 for an average of 67 and a half. Rated against Rotten Tomatoes 23. So, 23, I mean, really? Yeah, that's pretty bad. That's, that's... Nobody likes it ironically? Exactly. I mean, come on. That seems highly unlikely. <laughs> I really liked Wishmaster. <laughs> Number two, at 52 points. Two. Happy birthday to me. Love it. Loved it. Love it. So unique. <laughs> So great. Rotten Tomato of 27. 
We gave it an 80 and 78, respectively, you then me. Unacceptable. I know, right? Unacceptable. <laughs> a huge difference. <laughs> it's just, it's a fun movie. The ending was twisted. Yeah, who the killer really was kind of comes out of left field, and, and how they do the killings is a little contrived, but the end result is really interesting. The kills themselves are super unique. Yeah. It's a little nonsense around the plot department, but <laughs> it was such a fun watch. Yes. And that's really what we're coming down to, is did we enjoy ourselves when we watched it? Number one. It's so weird. I cannot believe this is number one on the list. Really bizarre. 53 and a half points. So this, this like happy birthday to me breaks that 50 point difference barrier. Like, that's how much we disagree with the Rotten Tomatoes consensus. Of course, Rotten Tomatoes, their score savages this movie. <laughs> At a nine, one is Valentine, <laughs> which I gave a 60, you gave a 65. You're kind of <laughs> lukewarm on it. It was okay. We ended on a positive note. I mean, I guess it was okay, but... People hated this movie so much that it is, it is our number one movie in terms of difference from the critics. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one of our least listened to shows. People just don't care about Valentine. It's so It's weird. also probably because it's paired with X-Ray, which we all we ever do is talk about how shitty that is. You think people would be interested in listening to that episode. <laughs> that's episode 19, by the way. <laughs> Go back and listen to it. X-Ray is so bad. It's it's incredibly bad. So bad. So keep that in mind. X-Ray was episode 19 and Lifeblood was episode 14. Although Lifeblood's probably a slightly more entertaining listen because it is just enragingly bad. <laughs> but yeah, we obviously, I mean, just talking on the averages, we're like seven points higher than Rotten Tomatoes. But... When it comes to our biggest differences, it goes from 36 to 53 and a half points. Like, and in general, we like movies more and a lot more, apparently. <laughs> All right. Before we move on to the next movie, let's just go over our actual top 10. Woo! Top of, 10 of the year. And the year before. <sighs> the few months that we were running before the new year. All right. There is a... Four-way tie. For number 10. For number nine. Nine! <laughs> Which would mean the next movie would be 13, so it doesn't make the list. So, a four-way tie for number nine at 92 and a half average score between you and I. So there's no number 10? No, there are just four number nines. Okay. They are. It follows. This thing, it's going to follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you, back in the car. It could look like someone you know, or it could be a stranger in a crowd. Whatever helps it get close to you. It can look like anyone, but there's only one of it. Sometimes, sometimes I think it looks like People you love, just to hurt you. I see it. I see it. I'm surprised that's so low. We have some good movies on here. A Nightmare on Elm Street. 
Again. Please, God. This is God. Hexen, Witchcraft Through the Ages. Okay. And an American werewolf in London. How shall I do it? Sleeping pills. Not sure enough. I could hang myself. No. No, if you did it wrong, it could be painful. You'd choke to death. So what? Let him choke. Do you mind? The man's a friend of mine. Well, he ain't no friend to me. Gentlemen, please. The gun! I know where you can get a gun. Don't I need a silver bullet or something? Oh, be serious, would you? Hey, these are our top ten. We've done 130 <laughs> movies. These are the top ten. Okay, I see why Hexen is a number ten. It was great. Number nine, technically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a bummer about It Follows and A Nightmare on Elm Street. And- 92 and a half. I mean, so... It follows you gave a 90, I gave a 95. Nightmare on Elm Street, you gave a 90, I gave a 95. <laughs> Hexen, I gave a 90, you gave a 95. <laughs> and then American Werewolf in London, you gave a 94 and I gave a 91. I love American Werewolf in London. Yeah, but those all average out to 92 and a half points between the two of us. That's number nine. Tied for number seven. Seven! At 93, so just a half point higher. The Babadook. And Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime. Love both those movies, and yet nobody wants to listen to our episode about the Babadook. <laughs> Love the Babadook. You gave it a 94, I gave it a 92, and Beetlejuice, we agreed at 93. Excellent. Yeah, great movies. You can see we're these we're getting real high here. Nice fucking model. Yeah. <laughs> is the Wolfman. The way you walk towards Thorny, through no fault of your own. But as the rain enters the soil, the river enters the sea. So tears run to a predestined end. Your suffering is over. Now you will find peace for eternity. We both gave a 94. Really? Yeah, we agreed at a 94. The original Wolfman. I think it had a lot of old school charm to it. Yeah. And it made a lot of sense versus the Wolfman, which made practically That's no That's at our sense. least top 10, right? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. What number was it on the least? Uh, in, in our bottom 10, the Wolfman was number, tied for number 10. At 25 points. And the wolf man is in our top 10. Yes. At number seven. Or is it number, number six? six. 90, okay. 94, 94 score. Huge, huge jump. Yes. Tied for fourth place. Four. At 95 points. It just keeps going up one point. Get out. I believe they've been abducting black people, brainwashing them, making them work for them as sex slaves and shit. Oh, sorry about the shit. Sorry. And Cabin in the Woods. Congratulations go to maintenance. Who share the pot with Ronald the intern. That's not fair. I had zombies too. Yes, you did. Yes, you had zombies. But this is zombie redneck torture family, see? They're entirely separate species. Like the difference between an elephant and an elephant seal. There's always next year. Two modern movies. Two excellent we movies. Absolutely love. Just irrespective of the fact that they're 
horror movies. We just love them just in general. Great, mm-hmm. great movies. Uh, we each gave both of these 95. Not a lot of people are listening to the Get Out episode either, which I would have thought more people yeah. would be interested. I think people either new. already know what they need to know about Get Out or have already decided that they don't care what people have to say about Get Out. I think people have pretty much decided on that movie. It was so big versus most of these other movies. But it's paired with society. You have to see society. It is paired with society. <laughs> that might be part of it because I don't know if anyone knows what society is. Oh. This is episode 17. Go back and listen. Society. Woof. <laughs> All right. Number three. Three. All right. Top three top of the year. Three. At 96 points. Silence of the Lambs. Do you know what you look like to me with your good bag and your cheap shoes? You look like a robe. A well-scrubbed, hustling robe with a little taste. Good nutrition's given you some length of bone, but you're not more than one generation from poor wire trash, are you, Agent Starling? And that accent you've tried so desperately to shed, pure West Virginia. What is your father, dear? Is he a coal miner? Does he stink of the lamb? You know how quickly the boys found you. All those tedious, sticky fumblings in the back seats of cars while you could only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the end. That makes sense. You gave it a 97. I gave it a 95. Love this movie. Better score than I think we gave to Red Dragon or Manhunter. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So just fantastic classic movie. Maybe some transphobia incitement, just like Terror Train, but still classic horror movies, which there's a lot of that sleepaway camp. Like, you know, when you look back on this stuff, it's like, oh, man, you could have done something else. (laughs) Number two, two, 97 and a half points. The original Rosemary's Baby. What have you done to it? He has his father's eyes. All right. Are you surprised it didn't land at number one? I thought it was going to get number one. Well, it's your number one. (laughs) (laughs) You gave it 100%. Yes. I gave it a 95. It's a perfect movie. I adore that movie. I don't know why you gave it a 95. Listen to the episode and find out. That's episode 18. Okay. (laughs) And number one. One. Our number one movie. This was one I rated 100. You didn't, but you rated it higher than I rated Rosemary's Baby, Mm -hmm. so it ends up higher on the list, is seven. There are seven deadly sins, Captain. Gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. You can expect five more of these. Ah. At 98 and a half, which... I think is clearly a horror movie. Some people might argue it's a thriller, but I mean, with the murders and the gruesomeness, like it's obviously meant to be a horror. Mm -hmm. This is in my consideration. I mean, I said in the episode, I don't think really any movie's perfect, but I will give a movie my highest rating, which is it like the best I think a movie can do. And this is one of them. Just like you think about Rosemary's baby. These are fantastic movies. So seven, 
Rosemary's Baby and Silence, Silence of, of the, the Lambs. Lambs. Okay, I'm okay with that. That's a pretty, you know, wide spectrum of, of time, too. Although Silence of the Lambs and Seven both came out in the 90s. The 90s. Yeah, but Rosemary's Baby 60s. from 68. Get Out and Cabin in the Woods within the past, uh, what, 10 years. The Wolfman from 1941. Beetlejuice from the 80s. The Babadook from just a couple of years ago. American Werewolf in London, which is the 70s. Hexen. Was it the 80s? Okay. Hexen, which is what, the 20s? The teens? It's 1919 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street from the 80s, and it follows from 2014. So we do have a pretty wide swath of enjoyment across all of the years. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll give it to every single one of them. Not a lot of variation in our personal top 10. I'll just talk about the, the actually. Your top 10 is pretty much the same list, just in a different order. <laughs> uh, and my top 10, I have Zodiac at number two. I gave that a 97. And Nightmare on Elm Street, I gave a 95. So what are my personal top 10? I just want to know. You going can in reverse, if you want to. Going in reverse order. Yes. Uh, 10 is Beetlejuice. Woo! Tied for seventh place is American Werewolf in London, Wolfman, and Babadook. Okay. Tied for fourth place is Hexen and Cabin in the Woods. Sorry, Get Out. There's three movies tied for fourth. Tied for second is Silence of the Lambs and Seven. And then number one, of course, is Rosemary's Baby. I'm the only one that I'm kind of, like, not dismayed, but, like, if I were to go back, I, I would switch out Wolfman or something else. Yeah, I'm surprised you scored seven so highly. I thought it was very good. I'm actually really surprised that like the Sixth Sense and and other movies didn't crack our top ten. Because I I think about it now and I'm like I probably gave The Wolfman such a high score just because it's made so well. Yeah. And, but like that doesn't mean that like you enjoyed it as much as other movies. Yeah, we might have rated it a little bit too high, but obviously we enjoyed first, it. It was in our first couple weeks, so we probably weren't really thinking about how we were Yeah, that was episode eight. Yeah. yeah. But the next movies that just barely missed it are all rated 91, 28 Days Later, The Sixth Sense, and Zodiac. And then that's followed quickly by Carrie, the original Halloween, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Hereditary. These are all really, really good movies. My top 10 in reverse order is, get this. Beetlejuice at number 10, The Wolfman at number 9, then there is a six-way tie for number 3, Rosemary's Baby, Silence of the Lambs, Cabin in the Woods, Get Out, It Follows, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, all rated 95, then Zodiac at 97 and 7 at 100. Do you notice something about my top two? Zodiac and 7? Oh, they're both David Fincher movies. That's true. Just kind of worked out that way, but... I think we did both of them. Yeah, we did. We did both of them in the same episode, episode 33. Mm -hmm. That was a peak episode for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kelsey. Yeah. We've talked about how our show's been doing since we launched and the ratings and all of that for too long. Let's move into our last movie of the year. And oh boy, are we ending on a high note. Oh. (laughs) We're talking about 2013's Antisocial, written by Chad Archibald and Cody Callahan, directed by Cody Callahan, starring Michelle Milet, Cody Ray Thompson, 
and Adam Christie. Kelsey, what is antisocial about? A group of college kids are getting together for the new year, and some sort of disease is spreading through a social website, and people are going crazy and killing each other. And if this sounds familiar, you're not wrong. It's the signal. It is the signal. Except not nearly as good. Not anywhere near as good as the signal. If you want to listen to our episode about the signal, that was... Episode 13. And the signal was great. Yeah. We Um, really liked it, didn't we? Well, you gave it a 66 and I gave it a 70. Oh, well, my memory of it is a lot better than that. It's a little cheaply made. It's not like really, really great quality, but it's novel. Yes. And that's what we liked about it, if I remember correctly. And it was just, it was odd. It was funny. It was off the wall. And then there's this piece of crap. (laughs) Which, Jesus. (laughs) It feels like... The writers, Chad Archibald and Cody Callahan, which, by the way, remember when the character Chad came up on screen and I was like, oh, nobody named Chad is any good. <laughs> One of the writers name is Chad and, and he named a character after himself, apparently. <laughs> And it's directed by one of the writers. Like, I'm not surprised this seems like a self-made movie. (laughs) Because there is no way this would fly at a big studio. Like, and not just because, oh, it doesn't cater to the masses. It's just... (laughs) It's no good. Don't watch this movie. They made a sequel. They did make a sequel. (laughs) Because it ends with sequel bait. They try... Oh, so hard to make the character who's living at the end seem badass. <laughs> In the process, stealing the ending of a much better independent film, like a much better independent film, Pie. And oh my God, it, it made me mad. <laughs> it's just don't even bother wasting your time. No. Watching it. It's not a zero. No. But. It ain't good. Don't bother. (laughs) So you could watch it if you want. Where did you watch it? Where did we watch it? It's free on Prime. Free on Prime. Yep. (laughs) You could watch it, but we recommend you don't. (laughs) When we come back, we will talk about 2013's Anti-Social. We're throwing a kick-ass New Year's party here tonight. Various student suicides and physical attacks in Burbank, Washington, have now been reported. The Los Angeles takes the lives of 27. The world is an ending, Jed. The media hypes these events. He's infected. Okay, guys, honestly. Something bad is gonna happen. What you are about to see is causing these hallucinations. You have to figure out what to do. Can't stay here. Brian, no. If anyone is watching this, how else could a virus spread worldwide in a day? I couldn't stop it. All right, Kelsey. What happens in any social? We open up on a blog yay, of two girls talking about clothes they just bought, and they're going to go through each item. This is a real thing. These are called <laughs> haul videos, 
and the point of a haul video is you've gone shopping and you're going to share everything that you bought. And people watch these. It's a very popular video type. Why? People like to live vicariously. They like to get ideas for things that maybe they want. That kind of stuff. Well, it's it, commercialism at its best. Well, it doesn't go well. Uh, the girl gets a bloody nose, and then she goes on a rage. Ape shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. And uh, the other girl is forced to kill, kill the other her. One. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now this this video and this surviving character are going to play a pretty big role. Yeah. In the plot of the movie, even though we never actually join them or follow them beyond what's seen in their live blog. Apparently, it's live. <laughs> They're streaming this. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I'm going to take a wild stab here and say technology did it. This, this They're pretty movie, clear oh, about that. Oh, my God. Like, right off the bat. I wrote that, like, first thing. Like, when the movie started and... Sure enough, not only technology, but social technology. That's right. Including, what's the name of the website, the Facebook analog? The Social Red Room Incorporated.com. The Social Red Room. Okay. Red Rooms. This is a real thing. Let's get this out of the way right now. Okay. I mean, I, I hesitate to say it's a real thing. It's a real concept. Uh, a red room is basically a creepy pasta that might actually be real. Red rooms are said to exist in the quote unquote deep web. Ew. You know the 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 internet that you need to get on like a Tor server or something like that to actually access because you can't access it through traditional means because they're all very illegal where people buy and sell drugs and people and stuff like that and weapons and Red Rooms are basically streaming snuff films where you watch people get tortured or murdered and it's interactive in some way. Now, they don't really exist or it would be difficult for them to exist because it's difficult to stream video over tour. So the the live interactive nature is probably not real, but... The idea of non-live video being shared on the deep web of people being tortured or killed is definitely real. And most of them are Bitcoin scams. So, you know, that you got to pay Bitcoin to access it and then you don't actually get anything on the other end. The person just runs off with your Bitcoin. But that's what the concept is. That's what a red room is. Now, there are theories why it's called a red room. Some say it's a reference to Videodrome where you can watch military interrogations or tortures in a in a red room or it's a play on red rum from the shining when we're talking about people being possessed by a violent nature right uh, it's also a nickname for the waiting room in twin peaks because there are red walls in that room so it's just a weird creepy reference that they can put in this movie well, also, I mean, if you watched The Haunting of Hill House, they call it the Red Room, where the people are. Yeah. Yeah, but this is before that, so. But that could also be a reference, yeah. 
so that's where they get the name for this popular Facebook analog called the social red room <sighs> where people chat and video chat and l- all of these sort of real world analogs that they put in movies for social sites are always god awful they're always horrible and, and this it is always another makes one you them. wonder like how does the writer not know how these things work do you not have a facebook right also it's not necessarily the writer. It could also be, you know, designers on on staff and that, that have to actually create the design of this and make it uh, unique so they don't get sued by anybody. <laughs> and in the process, you know, they're not – they don't design this sort of thing for a living. But really, I think most people should hire, like, real live website and social designers to create this stuff because it always looks garbage. And <laughs> and whenever you create something for film, I always think, how would this operate in the real world? And these interfaces always suck. How do I navigate? Why are these windows always popping up on their own? Like, it just would not be feasible in a real world scenario. And it always bothers me. <laughs> so, on the Red Room, uh, we see our main character. Do you know her name? Sam. Sam. She goes on there. She's about to meet up with her boyfriend, and she's wondering where he is. Well, he's not coming because he wants to break up with her. So, she calls him through the Red Room, or he calls her, and then, like, when she answers, he's just sitting down, and it's yeah. like, huh? What? It's, people like showing when video chats start people sitting down in front of it, and it's like, yeah, I know sometimes people will start a call and then walk away and, until somebody answers, but who's not just, like, on their laptop or whatever and <laughs> navigating the social red room or whatever <laughs> while they're waiting for somebody to answer their call? And, uh, like, she's talking to him, and he's very obviously not paying attention. He's looking at his phone and all this shit. He's a believable asshole. This is a totally believable scenario, I And feel. he's like, I get it. Let's take a break. And then he, like, exits before she's even done talking. And then he immediately puts on there that he's single. Yeah. The reason she wants to talk to him is because she's pregnant. And that won't come into play, like, at all. No. So I don't know why it, it's included. It creates <laughs> There's one moment tension. where it's like, oh, is she sick? Oh, but she doesn't have the same symptoms as everyone else. Yeah, it's because she's pregnant. And then that's it. I wonder if they forget that for Antisocial 2. <laughs> no, that's what the premise of Antisocial 2 is. So I looked this up. She has a kid. The premise is. Oh, Sam lives. Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> yeah. The premise for the second one is that her baby was taken from her and she thinks they were taken by the people who are desperate to find a cure. This and so movie, she has to go on a rampage to get her baby back. This movie tries real hard right at the very end to make her like this tough, badass chick kind of character and Ellen Ripley type. So the idea that her kid gets taken from her fits just perfectly perfectly into that archetype. 
So then they take her, the next scene is her going to class on New Year's Eve. It's a criminology class, and it's because she didn't pass her final, which makes zero sense if you've ever been to fucking college. Right. You didn't pass your final, you're fucked. What do you mean they get a second chance? Yeah. Also, all this does is show us that she gets sick at the sign of blood, and that's because she's pregnant. So the fact that she goes to a criminology class... Totally pointless. The fact that she is, you know, going to school and she has a criminology class, like just that fact, let alone going to the class, it doesn't enter into the story at all. It's just a bunch of wasted time. Which is where I wrote, what is this movie? (laughs) What are we watching? Her friend wants her to come to his New Year's Eve party. And at first she's like, eh, I don't really feel like it. And then she decides to go. As she's walking through campus, she sees that a dude has a bloody nose, and he will come up later just to show us that he went on a rampage and killed people. Yep. Which we've already understood, movie. We get it. But, okay. She goes to this party, and when she first enters, no one's there. Guy comes up to her in a mask. She punches him. Oh, but it's just a joke. Seen that before. Why? Just, what does this have to do to with the To show that she can take care of herself. So then we meet all the people at the party, and to show us all the people at the party, we, they show us their social networking shit, and it wasn't important enough for me to write any of it down. No, but the but the important thing to note here is that Jed's uh, profile has been shut down. Just he, as, like, her hers has. Yes. So they haven't been using it today, I guess it was today that I, everything was yeah, going to go bad. It was. It was. Okay. We do know that. And it's I will say that a movie about social media when you introduce a character showing us the hits of their profile, like the greatest hits of their profile, I I get it. It works. I understand that. I it's not the worst thing that you could do, but these are all super stereotypical characters. They don't make an effort at all to make any any of them interesting. So there's a couple. There is a guy and a girl. They're in a couple. They're a relationship. Steve and Caitlin, I think. There's another dude who's just a friend. Mark. And then there's the guy who she's actually really good friends with. Oh, that's Mark. Jed. Jed is the other guy. And that's it. Uh But I mean, I guess it's early and people really hadn't shown up yet. And now no one's going to show up because the world is being taken over. Basically, outside the world's going crazy, but they don't necessarily know it yet. Jed's talking to his buddy who's going to be going to the party later. Spoiler alert, he never makes it. Uh, <laughs> and and he's kind of informing him, hey, they have our our our, our residence, our is residence shut down. on lockdown. Meanwhile, Steve and Caitlin are going to be having sex in their room and they got to film it because this movie is not subtle about its, <laughs> its message of how connected we are. And a guy bangs on the window upstairs outside and he comes inside and Steve is forced to attack him and pushes him off the balcony. By the way, the room that they're in when this happens has red walls. Oh. Oh. And then dude lands on the floor and everyone outside is just kind of taking pictures and video of him. Real deep movie. Real deep. (laughs) So they very quickly figure out, okay, the world is being taken over and Jed's just like, well... The world's gonna end. Don't you want to go out with some style? Which is exactly what I would do. I'd just uh-huh. be like, oh, the world's ending. Yeah. Might as well get drunk. 
But yeah, so he kills that guy, and at first they're like, I don't know what to believe, even though they know the world is being taken over. Yeah. They're like, you killed him. They call it a viral infection. Get it? Get it? We find out through the friend who's at the locked down residence, he's like, hey, watch this video. And they watch the same video that we saw at the beginning of the movie. Uh Uh-huh. And then we watch what happened after, and the girl's like, you know, here are the symptoms. Ears bleeding, nose bleeding. You start to see things, you start to hear things. And then our main girl, Sam, is like, well, why don't we message her? So no one else in the world is watching this, and no one else in the world is messaging I her. wrote that. Like, nobody else messaged her this entire time. Yes. Uh, the news report at some point in here also says it's a mutation of the H1N1 virus. Uh, if you were around in 2009, you know what that is. It's kind of conflated with the swine flu because they're very closely related. Like, swine flu is a type of H1N1 or a variation of it or something like that. It's basically the flu. H1N1. It's a strain of the flu. But in, back in 2009, one of these strains killed 17,000 people. So they use that as their, like, analog to what's happening here. And the big question is, and you know what? The movie kind of answers it. How does this go from something that's communicated electronically to something that manifests as an actual physical flu virus? It's in the blood. Just like in 28 Days Later. Yeah. But how does it get there? How does it, how does an electronic communication turn into a virus in the blood? Like, what are the steps So there? their explanation is that the guy who runs the social red room was developing all kinds of shit to get you addicted, which Subliminal, we know they do. Yeah. Uh-huh. We know they do that shit. But it's less nefarious than what we see here, which is subliminal code that's designed to, like, trick your brain into becoming addicted to it. If anybody out there is listening, you have to believe me when I tell you that the social red room is to blame. It is the cause for this whole epidemic. For the past three years, we have been running a subliminal pattern underneath our website trying to get users to visit the website more frequently. And the update that we we released this morning, well, that is uh, highly more addictive. The occasional nosebleed was the only symptom, but they kept the real side effects a secret. Um, oh, God. Hallucinations and uh, depression and violence, you know, all kept a secret. After hearing about the side effects, I, uh, I tried to shut it down. But it, uh, it uh, went into some sort of uh, survival mode. It, 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 like, a, like a biological virus, it, 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 it mutated. It started to change people. The virus is moving through those it's infected. It's, it's uh, trying to eliminate the threat, which is us. If you are experiencing nosebleeds or hallucinations, there's no hope for you. And in the process, what they did is it unlocked something in your brain. Yes, it's like a tumor. Yes. Uh, it basically, it, it, to, to register all of these inputs that your brain is receiving, it basically creates this like loop in your brain. And your, your brain's way of dealing with this is to create growths to process all these new inputs. And 
it forms like a tumor in your brain. It's not the tumor. It's not the tumor. <laughs> and it gets so big that eventually your head, your skull bursts open. Eventually their skulls are going to burst. Yes. So even if, even if you survive and you get, you tie somebody up or whatever, eventually their skulls are going to burst. What happens after that is absolutely ridiculous. Like, okay, I'm bought into that concept. <laughs> okay. Then their brains become basically a computer now, and your eyes turn into like cameras, and it your brain streams <laughs> on your Wi-Fi network, and it logs into your profile in the social red room, and it brings up a stream, and whatever your body is seeing is being streamed live to the social red room, man. <laughs> Man, it's so deep. It's so deep. Don't you understand? We're all too connected. It's going to overload our brains. Your eyes might as well be cameras. You use your 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 phones and the cameras on them so much. You might as well be streaming everything you see, like your meals that you eat. And Oh, man, it's so deep. I fucking hate how pretentious this is. <laughs> Anyway, um, so they so, message her. <laughs> yeah, and, and she basically just tells them what we just told you, and then the the black guy who's in the relationship realizes that he is sick, but doesn't tell anybody. But then he does, and he wants to leave. But the friend is like, "Nah, man, stay here." And then he goes crazy and tries to kill people, but he doesn't. And they get him down into the basement, and then he's dead somehow. And I don't the remember how he died either. And then the girlfriend is sick too. And like Jed is like, I think we need to keep an eye on her. <laughs> like at this point, they know all of the symptoms. Yeah. Why is this not? Why is like? And a dude named Chad shows up, and he's banging on the door. Let me in. Let me in. And Jed has to explain he's bleeding out of his ears. We know he's infected. Why is this so hard for everyone in this room to understand? I love Chad. I really do, but I'm not going to die for him. <laughs> yes. Is what they say. <laughs> He's already gone is the point. I know it sucks, but you're going to have to deal with the fact that he's already gone. We cannot let him inside. And he has to play the rational one. Now, oftentimes in these sort of infection paranoia scenarios in movies, we have the pragmatist and he's a total dillweed. And you end up hating him and he goes off the deep end. There's one time in this movie where Jed is totally unreasonable. Maybe we just bash your head in. Yes, exactly. And, and then other he than that. And he says, maybe that was a little harsh, but yes. we all know what's going to happen. Yes. We just bash your head in. Jed. What? I'm the odd man out on this one. Really? Go ahead. Do it. Don't bash my head, please. I wasn't being serious. Okay, fine. Maybe that was a little harsh, but I mean, we know what happens next. Other than that, he is right 100% of the time, and he is kind and he cares that this is happening to his friends and he thinks it sucks and it really breaks him apart inside and he is a genuinely like relatable character mm -hmm. the only one in this entire movie and then mark totally realizes that he's infected and yet he still goes to sam and is like i'll keep you safe because <laughs> he's totally in love with her i think we're supposed to think 
that they have chemistry of some sort. Yes. They have no chemistry. Like, <laughs> none. In no way, at any point in the movie, was I thinking, oh, I hope they get together. I'm going to be really upset if he dies because she cares about him. No, it's like they lay it on real thick at the end and that's it. There's no part that's – there's no cuteness between well, them. Well, that, that's funny that you say that because the girl who was in the relationship with the guy who's now dead says, you guys are cute together. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah, like so. – at one point, Sam begs him to stay. So Mark knows he's going to die, and he's like, I should just go. And she's like, I need you to stay with me because I'm weak and useless, and I need someone to stay with me who cares about me, even though I don't actually care about you because I need someone to take care of me. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of frustrating. <laughs> Meanwhile, Brian, who is Jed's friend in the other residency, the whole place is getting taken over this entire time. They've been moving them up and up and up a floor and closing off the floors underneath them. And he's carrying around this laptop with him, still communicating the entire night, and it's not dead, and goes up to the roof. And he says, I got to go. Bye. I'm going to kill myself, basically. And Jed's like, no, don't do it. And he drops the <laughs> laptop perfectly aimed at the ledge that he's going to stand up on and he is perfectly centered and framed in this shot so unbelievably and then he jumps off right as all these quote-unquote zombies are charging at him and a few fall off with after him there's another completely unbelievable part of this film as well where not only are they all having the same symptoms and the same, like, reaction they're also having the same hallucination of people a group of people moving all weird and uh -huh. then saying, like, come with us. Yep. You'll see. You know, it's beautiful. It's your social what? network. What? It's how connected you are to people. There's This is what they're getting into <laughs> is they operate on kind of a hive mind or they start to. We're seeing this formed and it's really like, I really wish all of this could have been resolved in this one movie and it wasn't. <laughs> just set up for a sequel <laughs> it really kind of bothersome let the games begin but jed having talked to brian finds out that there is a cure and this is the cure you drill into your brain in, <laughs> into your skull exposing your brain and you pull out the tumor if it's not too developed but they say in the video that they watch they say if you're already seeing things, we're sorry, but this isn't going to work. Yeah, it's too late. So and Mark is like, well, it's too late then. If this is true, it's too late for me. Right, She's even like, if he well, was lying. just try? Even if he was lying, he starts to bleed, and that's the follow-up symptom to hallucinations. So if they are bleeding, you know they've already been hallucinating. So in all of the hullabaloo, Brian dies, Jed gets really upset, and everyone's banging on a window. So him and his anger, he throws open the window and beats the guy to death. And then with a, a computer. With a computer, yeah. I'm a computer. <laughs> I'm a computer. <laughs> uh, and then he, of course, leaves the window open. Instead of just closing the window, he stops, turns to them all calmly in the silence and says, I'm sorry, and then more zombies reach in and pull him out like yep. is in every fucking zombie movie ever yep and it's accomplished to much greater effect in this it's like dude you could have just closed the window <laughs> but i guess maybe he gave up but 
knowing Jed as we do, being a pragmatist, he wouldn't have put them in danger. He really liked Sam. He wouldn't have put her in danger. Like it just—it's totally out of character, so they can have this really cliched moment. So she ends up doing it to herself. Well, okay, they go down there, and Mark is going to do it to her, but then he starts hallucinating more, and she's like, "Mark, focus on me." Focus on me. And then he's like talking to Chad and 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 she's like, focus on me, Mark. And then the Chad hallucination turns out isn't a hallucination and then tackles him and then they fight and stuff. And I'm sorry, but Sam, if he wasn't a hallucination, you could have seen him. What are you doing saying focus on me? Ignore the fact that there's a man in the room and he we know he's affected and we know he's violent and drill into my forehead. Why not say Chad's there, kill him. <laughs> but she ends up doing it to herself. She In a very pie moment, stolen straight out of pie, drilling into her own head. She gets it out, and then we hear, doesn't matter if their heads explode, they're going to come back. Yes. So she ties a thing around her, her head to cover up the, the wound, and then she walks out, she grabs an axe, and immediately they all get up at the exact same time. Yep. And then they chase after her right as she's like, I'm ready. Let's do this mm-hmm. moment, which is totally unearned. And the music. Totally unearned. And the music is totally stolen from Terminator. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Totally it's is. evocative, which is funny because the scene where they're drilling in the head, I wrote, are we going to get a pie ending? Sure enough, we do. Called it. And even the music is this sort of like industrial music that sounds like it's out of the Pi soundtrack. And this music is nowhere else in the entire. It's like they consciously knew they were ripping off Pi. I love that soundtrack, too. I asked for that soundtrack when I was a kid when that movie came out. I liked it so much. Well, I felt that the music was very much from Terminator. Well, that that's the next song where she's wearing her head bandage like a Rambo bandana. Now, it's the movie's not exactly making it subtext text. And movies do that all the time, and that's bad. But this is really close to that. It is so fucking surface level. It's not even funny. People didn't like this ending when it was when it was in 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I really don't like it here. The idea of like finally got out of this one single location and survived it. And instead of trying to be safe, going to fight the good fight. Sorry, spoilers for 10 Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> but it's a bad ending. And it's more about what happens throughout the movie than the ending anyway. So it's okay. Don't worry. And it's even worse in this movie. It's even less earned. So that's the movie. That go. is antisocial. Yeah. Kelsey, lightning round. Nope. No? I have, nope. A, I have a few things, I think. The movie communicates that the flashing screen that they see isn't in their head. Is that the website? Is that the code going out to you? That is the code going right. out to you. That's but why what I wouldn't gathered. it? Why wouldn't it have happened all at the same time to everyone or constantly while you're watching it? Why is it these specifically, you know, at points in the plot when it would be the most effective? It's like it knows we're watching a movie or something. We know it's not a hallucination because we see it from other people's point of view. If it is a hallucination, they really didn't communicate it that great, especially when when they are hallucinating, they they color grade the film blue, so you really know that they're hallucinating. It's really obvious, but it works, and it happens mid-shot, which I think is kind of effective, but anyway, 
one of the side effects that they don't talk about, but it comes back, they mention it once, is that when they're nearby, lights start flashing. And it's not a plot point ever in the movie, except for one kind of cool moment. Another person they tie up with Christmas lights is Caitlin, Steve's girlfriend. And that's how that's the only thing they have to tie her up with is Christmas lights. And so when she wakes up again, all the lights come on. All the lights come on and they start flashing that she's wrapped up in as she's like crawling around on the floor and stuff like that. And I thought it's a pretty great design idea. Like, I thought that's pretty great if they made the flashing lights like a little bit more a part of the plot and a point. It seems like the only reason that happened is so they can set up this one effect. And that makes it kind of weaker as a result. She ends up falling off the top balcony, though, and getting her neck snapped by the string of Christmas lights. This is yet another right. movie yes. where somebody gets choked or hanged by Christmas lights. That's Forgot to mention that. Yeah. Four in the past month we've watched. Mm-hmm. Movies you can stop it now. <laughs> kind of like the signal. We talked earlier about how this is kind of like the signal. I don't think you can really worry about the how, how all this is happening. How does it spread? How did it start? It's beside the point. But this movie actually goes there in this case eventually. And it takes up so much of the plot that I don't know. Was it worth it? Do you think? Do you think we could have gotten a better movie if they spent more time ignoring the how? No, <laughs> I really don't. Yeah, okay, that's fair. <laughs> All right, what do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? Does it have one? Yes. Is it 17? It is 14. There you go. Just like New Year's Evil. Yeah. So, hooray, what 14%. What a great week this was. Overrated or underrated? I'd, I'll go with 14. I'll say it was just on point. All right. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I can go that low. It's definitely worse than New Year's Evil. Oh, it's way worse than New yeah, Year's Evil. I'll give it a 17. Okay. <laughs> I guess. So I gave New Year's Evil a 30. I don't think this is only 10 points worse than New Year's Evil. So does that breach our bottom 10? Does it? Yes. Oh. It does. It gives us a 15 and a half average score. So first of all, if it lands on your bottom 10, uh, it tie it's tied with the Black Christmas remake. It lands on my top 10 at number five so right in the middle i guess and overall at 15 and a half it lands at our number nine Nine. <laughs> so it knocks five movies those halloween remake the wolfman nightmare on elm street remake halloween 2 and santa's sleigh it knocks all those off of our top 10 or a bottom 10 i guess yeah it's uh Right here at the end, just under the wire, we get a really bad one. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like it's made poorly because, you know, there's a lot of charm in that. But this is it's devoid of bad. anything interesting. Yeah. Everything is completely ham-fisted. Yeah, it's just not good. Unfortunately. Well, I was going to say because it's an interesting premise, but just watch The Signal, man. The signal's so much better. Yeah. 
Signal had charm. It had comedy. It was unique. It was fresh. And then there was this. Right. And we didn't even like the Signal all that much, but it is miles better than this one. Yes. All right. That was 2013's Antisocial. We also watched 1980's New Year's Evil, and that wraps up the episode for this week and the whole year. This is the last episode of the year. So, first episode of the new year, Kelsey, what are we watching? We're going to continue into our New Year's celebrations. Uh Uh-huh. We are going to watch Ghost Keeper. Uh Uh-huh. And The Children. All right. Hadn't heard of either one of those. Nope. So we'll see how those are in the first episode of the new year. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com, where you can browse all of our episodes and a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. You can leave a comment, share your thoughts on the movies, or recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode. You can also email us at podcemetery at gmail.com. We do have a few emails that we haven't responded to yet. It's the holidays, man, and it's really, really hectic. So I really appreciate you guys writing. We'll get to you first thing in the new year. And you can follow us on Twitter at podcemetery where I'll add comments as I'm editing or we'll share other posts from other sources. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Five-star written reviews are the best thing you can do for us in that department. Even better, you can share us with friends. Even better than that, listen in the GD first place. Thank you so much. Happy New Year, guys. Until next week, I've been Chris. I have been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Any last words? This is your last chance to be bad before you make those New Year's resolutions. It is week one of our New Year's celebration in which we are watching 19, I don't remember the years, The Happy Hooker Goes to Washington, The Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood, Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype. I'm a man of God, not a man of violence, stabs Biker. <laughs> me, mommy doesn't love me, me. <laughs> No, 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 no. I grabbed it. Did you almost lose your ring?
No. 